0: Hey y'all, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am so excited that you are here with me today. I am your host, Misty Phillip. Now you may have noticed that I didn't get a podcast out last week. I am in the middle of a crazy busy season preparing for the Spark Media Conference. So if my episode's Don't get out on time. Uh, Please give me a little bit of grace as we are juggling a lot over the next month. Today, I want to thank you for listening to By His Grace. When I looked at Listen Notes today, which ranks podcast, I found out that the By His Grace podcast is in the top 1.5% of all podcasts globally. And there are over 2.3 million podcasts, and that is because of you, my listeners. You are the reason that the Bias Grace podcast exists. So on this season, we are talking about chasing our dreams and following God. And as we walk in our calling and chase our God-given dreams, there will be friends who will cheer us on. These are the ones who will lock arms with us to do the thing that God has called us to do. They are the ones who lift you up when you are feeling weary and encourage you to press in and carry on when things get hard. Those are your people. They are your dream defenders. Keep them close. But not everyone is going to understand our dreams or the call That God has on our life. There will be doubters, haters, and critics. Some people may even be jealous and not only criticize you, but they may even take it a step further and try to sabotage you. When we put ourselves out into the world, we risk being hurt by others. It comes with the territory. I don't know who to attribute this saying to, but it's one that I like. New levels, new devils. So as we are pursuing our dreams, people will come against us. Not everyone is going to get us. You are not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And you know what? That is okay. So when the critics come, what should our response be? Well, let's look at what Jesus shared with the disciples. Jesus commands the disciples four times in the Gospels to shake the dust off their feet and to move on. We find these in Matthew 10, 4, Luke 9, 5, and Mark 6, 11. In Mark 6, 11, Jesus says, And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. In the Matthew 10 account, Jesus clarifies his meaning. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town, verse 15. As I prepared the introduction for this podcast on critics, I read the following at gotquestions.org about these verses on shaking the dust off your feet, and I thought it was so profound I wanted to share it with you. Shaking the dust off of one's feet conveys the same idea as our modern phrase, I wash my hands of it shaking the dust off the feet is a symbolic indication that one has done all that can be done in a situation and therefore carries no further responsibility for it in the scriptural examples jesus was telling his disciples that they were to preach the gospel to everyone where they were received with joy they should stay and teach but where their message was rejected They had no further responsibility. They were free to walk away with a clear conscience, knowing that they had done all they could do. Shaking the dust off of their feet was, in effect, saying that those who rejected God's truth would not be allowed to hinder the furtherance of the gospel. Even the dust of those cities that rejected the Lord was an abomination and would not be allowed to cling to the feet of God's messengers. It goes on to say, there are situations in our lives where God calls us to stand firm, proclaim truth, and give patient testimony. Sometimes we need to continue until we see the results of that testimony. Other times, God gives us the freedom to move on. We figuratively shake the dust off of our feet when under the Holy Spirit's direction, we surrender those people to the Lord and emotionally let go. We have the freedom then to move into the next phase of ministry. Jesus's instruction to shake the dust off of our feet reminds us that we are only responsible for our obedience to God, not for the results of that obedience. Friends, I think this instruction for the disciples is applicable to us today as we pursue our dreams and walk in our callings, knowing that there will be critics. We can't control how people will act or respond to towards us. We can't control what they think of us or even what they say about us. The only thing we can control is our response. When people come against us, we can choose to either walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. As Taylor Swift says, we got to shake it off. And then we have to move on knowing that God sees everything. He knows the heart and the intentions of man. So let God deal with the critics in your life. If you've been hurt by critical people in your life, my friend, I just want to encourage you to shake off the folks who don't understand you or your dreams and know that those are not your people. And that is okay. When critics come against you, choose to stay on course and walk in both faith and freedom on the path that has been set before you, remembering that your job is obedience, not the outcome. This week, I have invited the formidable Ann Watson to the By His Grace podcast. Ann is a business and brand strategy coach for entrepreneurs and communicators. Ann has felt the sting of mean people in her life. And today she opens up to share what happened when she allowed the critics to have the loudest voice in her life and what she learned in the process. So listen in to this episode of By His Grace. Anne Watson, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am so excited to have you here with me today, my friend.
1: I'm so excited to be here. I mean, You're one of my favorite people and I could just talk with you for hours. So thanks for having me be on this podcast and, you know, letting me just chat with you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about uh, kind of a tough subject, I think, today is what happens on the road to chasing our dreams when um, when we have critics, when we... Be when we're our inner critic. And also, I think more importantly, like, how do we handle when we receive criticism from others? So um, we're just going to jump right into this. And I'd like to know, um, what is, what do you think is the Christian response to critics?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, this whole idea of criticism is just really a difficult one in general, right? Because all of us, I think, are trying to just Be the best person that we can be. And it's so difficult to feel like you're misunderstood and to feel like somebody didn't take something the right way or that you caused harm, especially intentionally. And so the idea of criticism, I think, is actually twofold because there's the there's the critic that is coming at you. But then there's that like internal struggle too. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Or did I do something wrong? Or why do they think this way about me or whatever? So it's like two things that you're having to deal with. And I think that with respect to Christians, there's two ways that they handle it. And the first way is that according to scripture, you know, the Bible, you, if you have a conflict with a brother, you go to that brother and resolve the conflict. And if it doesn't work, then you get other people involved. Um, Which to be honest with you, I don't see that happen very often. More often than not, I see Christians who are struggling with feeling like they've been criticized talking to other people and saying, am I right? Did this work? Okay. And they're trying to just kind of get their brains around how they're feeling. But a lot of times that opens the door to advice that maybe isn't helpful. And so I, I, it, there's no real perfect way to handle this, except for really potentially just going to the person directly and giving them a response. And then like you and I have talked about many times, staying in your lane, keeping your blinders on and doing your thing and know that God is just and that this too shall pass.
0: So what, what if we can't get, so what if it is like, we've written a book, and we've got all of these amazing positive reviews, you know, and then we start to get some negative reviews, because it doesn't matter what we're putting out into the world, like there are going to be people that disagree with us. And so I'm not even talking about the criticism coming from somebody that we know, but maybe criticism that how do we handle when, you know, people say things that maybe are not true, or um, that it just doesn't sit well with them, or they just, they're politically, we're not aligned, those types of critics. How do we handle those? And what is our biblical response? And how should we, how should we handle those types
1: of critics? (laughs) Well, I laugh because what is our biblical response? Uh, The biblical response is still the same. If you have a problem, go directly to that person to resolve it. But when you are talking about people that you don't really know, I'm always going to go back to this quote that I once heard Brene Brown talk about from Teddy Roosevelt. And it's a, the man in the arena. Have you heard this quote?
0: I think so, but go ahead and and Okay. I can read it to you. Yeah, that would be great.
1: It says it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly and amazing and so i think about this all the time right like i um got to see brene brown live many 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 years ago um i didn't even know who she was at the time but i've been a fan ever since and she was talking about how one day uh, she had given this ted talk and she felt like it went pretty well she was terribly nervous But then the next day she made the mistake of going to look at some of the reviews and people were hideous. I mean, they were just terrible to her where they were commenting what she wore, telling her how commenting on how she looked saying things like they feel sorry for her kids that they have her as a mother. And they were just so hurtful and so insensitive. And she went to bed and watched like all of Downton Abbey (laughs) you know, in like two or three days. And then when that was over, she Googled all the characters in Downton Abbey because she just didn't want to come out of her cave. But then she found this quote and she realized that really, if you have a criticism and you're in the arena doing the same thing that I'm doing, then I want to hear your feedback because we are here to make each other better. But if you are casting your criticism from the cheap seats, I'm not interested yeah. because you're not down here doing what I'm doing. You're not covered in the blood, sweat, and tears of what I am covered in. You think you know, but you have no idea. And so you can share your opinions, but over here, they're falling on deaf ears because unless you are doing what I'm doing, you're in the arena with me. I just don't have time to consider your opinion.
0: Right. Well, and I think on social media too, it's easy to throw a jab at somebody and, you know, be a bully and be a troll and, and walk away. And there's no consequence. Like when we were young and we were in school, you know, if there was a problem, you know, you'd meet the bully on the playground and you would have your, your thing and then you'd go your ways or you'd make up and, but we don't have that now. We live in this cancel culture that is just so vicious and so, vile that um, I recently posted something that was, I had an interview that was a little controversial and I typically try not to get controversial because I don't think that that is what we're supposed to do as believers. But I felt very, very, this interview was very important to me for a lot of reasons. And so when all of the criticism kept coming at me, I just deflected and said, I don't, I don't understand your comment. Like, if, do you want to engage in a conversation about this? Like, I'm happy to engage in a conversation um, with you about it, but don't just hurl your insults at me and run because that is, that's not, it's a chicken. And, but we've become, we've allowed this to happen in our, in our culture where we don't like what somebody says. So you know, we kick them off of Twitter, or you know, we don't allow them. To, you know, we're 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 not going to sell their products in a in a store just because they have a difference of opinion. And to me, that's kind of a scary thing that we a scary trend that I see happening in in the world. And I think it all kind of starts with the not having the consequences of just being able to say anything online, and they're really not, you know. You, you you, know, the Twitter wars and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, you can throw insults at somebody and there's really not the consequences like we have seen. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, I know that people keep calling it a cancel culture. Um, and I do think that any tool that we have can be used and abused, but there are times that I'm just grateful for the delete button right? Like, like, I need to get this out of my head, out of my space, because it's not productive for me to have it here. It's not productive for me to see it. It's, it's just creating a healthy boundary. You know, I can't speak to the big tech giants and whatever, and who they're blocking and who they're monitoring. I mean, that's between them and the person that they're kind of going after. But I will say that, you know, sometimes the delete button is just an okay thing, and that is guarding your heart to protect your passion and your mission. Um that being said, I will also say that knowing like when you begin getting critics is actually when you know that you're stirring the waters, that you're making a difference, you're making an impact, you're having influence because you're creating emotion in people. So I remember getting my first negative comment on a blog post that I wrote a couple of years back. <laughs> And I really like my personality is to be horrified by this, right. That, you know, cause I want everybody to like me. I just do, but I got this negative comment and all I felt was joy because I was like, yes, I have my first critic. I've arrived. Like, it's I've arrived! <laughs> and so honestly, I think it's just going to come down to the perspective that you have about it. But That being said, it's not easy to always have the right perspective. And so if you'll let me, I'd love to share a little bit of a story about something that I learned the hard way. Absolutely. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I was a cheerleader and I had a really big nose and the uh, football team nicknamed me the bird, which was hateful and mean. They would pass me in the halls and they would, you know, like body check me up against the lockers and call me bird or lift my skirt in the middle of school kind of a thing. And it was just, it was really significant bullying and it was really, really hurtful. And there was one night that uh, we had lost an away game and all the football players and cheerleaders were on the same bus heading back to the school. And the football players who were in a very bad mood all started chanting together, kill the bird, kill the bird. They were just channeling their aggression, right? And so I went home, obviously devastated. My mom found me just like in a puddle on the floor. And the next day she called a plastic surgeon. And so when I was 15 years old, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I had plastic surgery to reduce the size of my nose in order to stop the bullies, which was very extreme and what happened next was I went back for my junior year and some of the football players passed me. And one of them said, Hey bird, what's up? And something in me snapped. Cause I'd been through a lot. Right. And I body checked him <laughs> against the locker. And, you know, I don't necessarily recommend body checking, but my brother was a hockey player. It's what I knew. So, um, I body checked him against the locker and I gave him a piece of my mind and I told him, you don't get to call me bird anymore. You know, this is what I've done. This is what I've been through. And you don't get to call me that. And the strangest thing happened. He began to respect me and to like, like me. He would come up to me at school and put his arm around me and be like, what are we doing today? Are we going to lunch? What's going on? And I'm like, who are you? What is the weird? But here, so here's the thing is the lesson that I should have learned in that moment was that I. I stood up for myself, I was true to myself, and I, I didn't let him criticize me and take that on. That's not the lesson that I learned. The lesson that I learned was have plastic surgery and adjust yourself so that other people will stop picking on you. And so I spent the next several decades just adjusting myself, just trying to be a people pleaser, just trying to be a chameleon, just trying to be a perfectionist so that nobody would ever have a reason to criticize me. And I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty that that is the fast route to anxiety and depression and a miserable life. And I had to really, I, I would read scriptures like, um, you are a masterpiece. I knew you before I formed you in the womb and I made you unique. Um, all those things. And I believed God for a long time for other people because I kind of felt like, oh, I must have missed the boat. But then I got some fantastic counseling after a family circumstance just sent me running for that. And I recommend counseling for everybody. It's like the greatest, it's, it's like taking a vitamin for your mind, like seriously. And I was able to sort of like unpack some of this criticism that I had hung on to. And what I started doing was just being myself, whatever that meant. And it was when I started doing that, that I started seeing fruit, you know, that I just, I start I stopped apologizing for who I was or the thoughts that I had or the opinions I had. Are there still critics? Yeah. But the person in me that remembers body checking that kid against the locker, and then he not only stopped picking on me, but he started respecting me. I go back to her and I think, you know, you are welcome to your opinion. And if I feel the need, I'm going to let you know how I feel about it. But I'm going to be choosy. I'm not going to let people know unless they're in the arena with me.
0: Yeah, that's if, good.
1: If you're from the cheap seats, it's, I'm, I'm not even going to consider your opinion. Because I'm too busy over here being me and watching God use that. And frankly, have fun, having fun with that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so I'm going to change the conversation, the direction of it just a little bit. Okay. I want to talk about, I want to know how you handle your self-criticism. So when the inner critic comes, <laughs> when you're feeling like I'm not enough or just the many things that we can tell ourselves to think that, um, you know, just the inner critic, How how do you... How do you recognize that, I guess, first of all? And then what do you do to to reroute yourself?
1: Okay, so I love that you asked this question because this is actually something God's been working on in me for the last couple of years. Um, and I, I'm going to start with the fact that there was one day in my morning Bible study quiet time that I was reading New Testament stuff, read it a bunch of times, and sometimes my eyes like blur over and I like, skim over stuff. But this one particular day I got to where the disciples asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself, which I had heard so many times, but for whatever reason on this particular day, the words love yourself, like stood out to me in bold print. And I thought, oh my gosh, Part of the greatest commandment is that I need to love myself. And I have been willfully disobedient in this area. And so I had to really take a long look at that and think about well, what does loving myself look like? And the best way that I can tell you that I employ this in my life now is when I catch myself having those negative thoughts, because they come, right? Like I'm at an, an age that I won't mention that. That I have created the neural pathways, you know, of the self-doubt and the insecurity and all of that stuff. And so I I just, I have to learn to recognize them. And when I do, I have to stop myself and go, if I loved myself, how would I respond in this situation? And that's not even easy, right? Because you get so busy, like hating yourself that you can't love yourself. And so I start thinking, all right, if this was my daughter saying this to me, what would I say to her? And then I just start in saying these words of encouragement, but I'm turning them into myself. I'm, I'm encouraging myself that, you know what? You're not the smartest one in the room. That's okay. God says that in Jeremiah 1.5, he knew you before he forms you in the womb. He set you apart. That means he made you unique on purpose. You're not supposed to be like anybody else. You're supposed to be different. You know, that that you are a masterpiece according to God, which if I'm a masterpiece and he knew me before he formed me in the womb and made me a masterpiece, then he's He's aware of what I think of as my flaws. Shoot, I don't even know if, if my flaws in my eyes are, this, are flaws in God's eyes. You know, I'm like not the sharpest cross on the wall <laughs> sometimes, right? But maybe that's not offensive to God. I don't know. All I know is... I am commanded to love myself. And so when I catch myself not doing that, then I have to say, if I loved myself in this moment, how would I, what would I say to myself? Or if I struggle because I'm too deep in, then I say, if my daughter came to me and said she was feeling like this about herself, what would I say? And I will tell you, if it was my daughter, mm, I'm getting in her face. No, she is not allowed to think poorly of herself. (laughs) She is not allowed to think she is less than because she is created by the almighty God who is perfect and all powerful. And if she's got a drop of that in her, then she is everything she needs to be in this moment right now without changing a single freaking thing. That's right. So, and oh yeah, me too. What, right. I mean, so when
0: I taught the struggle is real for the first time, when I, um, before I launched it, I, I, I test piloted it with a group of ladies in my church. And for one of the, the lessons, we, we, we actually went over that scripture about you're a masterpiece. And I started talking about when you go to a, an art gallery and you see these masterpieces, these works of art that are not God created, they're created by human hands and the care at which they're given and the way that they are restored with white gloves. And I just went through this whole process of just explaining it all to them. And I said, and these are man-made things. How much more so does God feel about you? And literally in that moment, every woman in that room was just like, oh. Cause I think it's something that we all struggle with. Like it's, it's easy for us to say to our daughters, you know, to our sons, to other people. Um, I think it's a lot harder for us to, you know, break that cycle within ourselves and to recognize. And so um, I came to a point too, and, and when when I broke both my arms and God just had me sit for a year where he just showered me with so much love, my husband said, I don't think you really love yourself. And I was like, of course I love myself. Like, And he's like, no, I, I think that you... I think you kind of struggle with this and, um, and it took a lot of time and a lot of undoing. So I think that, um, I love that, you know, God's been speaking these messages to you and that you're learning how to, to recognize them yourself and speak truth to ourselves. Like that's important for us to, to preach, you know, preach to ourselves. And, um, I recently heard somebody say, don't talk to yourself. If, if you would not talk to somebody else that way, why would you talk to yourself that way?
1: Well and that's true but I think that women I don't I don't know we get in our heads right and we we blame ourselves and we allow shame to come in and these are not tools of god but it's taking over because I mean right now the struggles with mental health with anxiety with depression all those things they're at an all-time high and when we're in a culture where we have more access to Health resources online, different types of doctors. We've got holistic, we've got, you know, allopathic, we've got osteopathic, we've got every different type of resource, tool, rehab, spa thing out there. And yet, the epidemic of women that are struggling to love themselves is getting worse and worse and worse. We've got to ask ourselves what is going on? How is this still a problem? when we have everything that we need to fix it. And I think we're looking for external solutions when really we need to just focus on that command to love yourself, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And I'm telling you, when you start to apply love yourself, like take the uh, chapter in Corinthians, is it First Corinthians 13? Mm-hmm. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast. Put yourself in there. Love is patient and kind to Anne. Love its not envy or hate, Anne. You just change your, read that piece of scripture, but put yourself in there. Like God is speaking to you and you'll start to see, I mean, the whole Bible is a love letter to us. That's right. And so we we just need to start by choosing to believe it making an active choice. I'm going to believe this today. Even if I don't feel it, I'm going to believe it. Eventually you'll start to feel it. And the more that you do this, the quicker it comes to you, right? The more like somebody will criticize you and you'll be like, okay, well, that was ugly. And I didn't like that. That didn't feel good at all, but I know who I am and I know what I'm doing and I know I have integrity and I know I'm an ethical person. And so I'm going to do what I can in this situation if I need to, to repair something or to address something. But if it's, if it's not somebody that's in the arena with me, I have to give myself permission to say "Hmm, they're entitled to their opinion, delete (laughs) or ignore. Yeah. (laughs) Or bye Felicia. (laughs) Like whatever (laughs) it is. Right. Like we we've got to give ourselves permission to shake it off. And, you know, Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew chapter 10. He's sending the disciples out two by two. It's like a test run for them, which I think is hilarious. He's like, all right, guys, two by two, go into the towns, preach the word. And he says, if you go into a town and they don't listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet and move on. Mm Jesus says shake the dust from your feet. I mean, God could not be more clear. The critics don't get a say.
0: Not only that, Jesus was criticized. And oh. and what was his response? His response was pray for those Pray for those who criticize, you know, love those. It's all, you've really summed this whole thing up well, and that is love. It's loving ourselves and loving others. And if we can do a better job at doing that every day, um, the world would just be a better place.
1: It really would. I mean, honestly, if everybody could just focus a little bit more on loving themselves, and I'm not talking about in an arrogant way. I'm not talking about in a prideful way. I'm talking about in a genuine, give yourself a hug because you deserve it kind of way, you know, to be forgiving of ourselves, to shake off guilt and shame because we know our hearts, we know what our intentions are. So yeah, I mean, Jesus was perfect and we crucified him. Right. So if Jesus can't escape the critics, then neither can we. So our best hope is to learn how to deal with it and, The best way to deal with it, the healthy way, is by loving ourselves. It is a commandment from God, but it is also a tool in our tool belts that decreases anxiety, decreases depression, decreases insecurity. It increases joy, it increases relationships. It is the most beautiful tool. It's just so much more than a command.
0: Yeah, that is so good and so wise of you, my friend. And I just appreciate you coming on to the show to share um, your wisdom and your stories. And um, we're going to put the links in the show notes uh, so that everybody can find you and follow you because you're amazing. And I just adore you. you And I thank you so much for um, coming on and sharing with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to be here. I could talk about this stuff all day. So yeah, I just thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there.